Welcome, welcome back to the Beyond the Womanist Classroom broadcast podcast. I'm sorry, this is not Radio Land. This is this is a new era. Welcome to the Beyond the Womanist Classroom podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mitzi J. Smith, and I am a womanist biblical scholar, professor, and author. In this weekly podcast, we discuss all things womanism, biblical interpretation, and justice, and of course, related topics. I'm so thrilled that today my guest is Dr. Marcia Y. Riggs. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Riggs before I introduce, as I introduce her to you. Dr. Riggs, first of all, is my colleague at Columbia Theological Seminary here in Decatur, Georgia. She is the founder of an applied ethics nonprofit center called Steel Waters. It is a center for ethical formation and practices. Steel Waters' mission is to provide education in conflict transformation theory and practices particularly focusing upon the intersection of religion and violence. Dr. Riggs has written many essays, articles, and several books. Her first book, I believe, was Can I Get a Witness? Prophetic Religious Voices of African-American Women, an anthology. And I remember reading this book at Howard University School of Divinity as an MDiv student, not too long ago, but long enough. <laughs> Little did I know, did I even dream that I would be Dr. Riggs's colleague. She has do- been doing this work a whole lot longer than I have. This is my second career. Um, so uh, her second book, Dr. Reed's second book is Awake, Arise, and Act, A Womanist Call for Black Liberation. She is also the author of Plenty Good Room, Women Versus Male Power in the Black Church. We will be discussing that book today. Dr. Riggs also edited with James Logan, Ethics That Matter, African, Caribbean, and African-American Sources. You can read, you can find and buy and read Dr. Riggs's book through Amazon.com. So I encourage you to go uh, find her books, especially the book, Plenty Good Room, which we will be discussing today. Welcome, Dr. Riggs. Thank you, Dr. Smith, and for the plug on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, by all means. And when you buy the book, go back and give it five stars. (laughs) Yeah, support support the Black women as scholars. So, Dr. Riggs, this book... This book, you know, I read through it some time ago, but when I picked it up again this time, I must have read it pretty, pretty hurriedly some time ago, perhaps as a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not as a student because it's not that old. But recently, and I, I went back to it, I had underlining in it and so forth. And I said, well, let me read it again. And my God, 
for some reason, it struck me so, uh, you know, it depends on where we are in life, I mm-hmm. guess. It yep. struck me so in such a significant, uh, I can't even uh, maybe right now put into words the uh, significance uh, of this book for us, for the black church, for black women today. And so you are focusing on gender and sexuality in the black church and how we are complicit. So talk to me. Tell tell me about your, what what did you what you plan to do? What was your uh, purpose in writing this book, and what you hope to do? Uh, and you hope that uh, 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 its impact would be. Yeah. Um... I decided to write this book after being um, invited by my bishop uh, to do a session in our bicentennial of the Amy Zion Church, okay, to do a session. And I chose to do it on gender, of course, (laughs) 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 which wasn't exactly the topic they had thought I would be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So upon doing that, you know, as I sort of describing the book here, I've got ministers who are all wanting to say, why do you want to talk about sexism and heterosexism and these things? Those are sociological issues, not theological ones. I'm like, seriously, that's where we're going with this. Right, right. Oh my God. What do they think the church is? (laughs) (laughs) And so after that battle, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. Now and maybe if I give the give the church a volume that's not too long for one thing, you know, so they can't say it was so long I just couldn't get through it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and one that also had both, you know, theoretical framing, but also use case studies, and mm-hmm. they were based on the experiences of women, you know. So it wasn't like I was making up this, you know. This is what women described happening. <laughs> Um, and then the other intent was to make it so that, uh, it could also be used, uh, dare I say in a Bible study type setting mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> be- because it had questions and ways to engage in dialogue, um, and to also bring cultural pieces into it, you know, like certain movies that you know, I knew people had seen the movies, <laughs> and so, you know, hoping that would be another way to get into this conversation. So that was the intent. Um, and it it was interesting because um, the response was very mixed. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I had some uh, ministers actually call me up and say, oh, I picked up this book. It sort of rattled me some. But did they invite me to come to their churches and do anything? Oh, no. <laughs> it was. So I was like, okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> and so it's been a real mixed bag. I mean, it seems to be coming back again for people. Mm-hmm. And and they're wanting to utilize it in classrooms. Um, so I guess. Things just have to cycle through, you know, sometimes, Mm -hmm. even if for you, it is very much present and pressing for you, a topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But 
And it may be really true that it's pressing in the context you're trying to speak to, but people just aren't ready to hear it. Right, right. Uh, I mean, if we if we were to shake the tree that is the church too hard, we might have to plant a different tree, perhaps. <laughs> Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. People don't want to get shook up too much because it means change. It means discontentment with the way things are. Mm -hmm. And we have to do them differently. Right. I mean, this is what, oh my God, this is what slave owners hoped would uh, not happen to us as black people. Right. Is that we would not be more conscious or more aware. Mm -hmm. of how our oppression, uh, of our oppression, um, of the ways we were oppressed, and how we may release ourselves. Right, exactly. And that's why, you know, I talked about, you know, sort of the 19th century roots of a social mythology of malehood and, and womanhood, mm -hmm. because those social myths are continually, they are rooted in us and in our structures. And if we aren't willing to challenge them, then yeah, we can continue to perpetuate uh, the very enslavement of our minds and our bodies mm -hmm. and our souls mm -hmm. that happened during slavery. Yes, yes, yes. So some of these myths, people may be aware of them, mm -hmm. Some of them not. Can you give us a synopsis, right? <laughs> you need to read the book for yourself. But uh, perhaps start with, it is radley, not to say it is radley, particularly when you start with the case study. So perhaps just think about this one, the first case study. Okay. Right? All right. And, and the way you <laughs> analyzed, right? Mm -hmm. Each, the man who was involved, the woman who was involved, it can be shocking because we don't think of ourselves as complicit a lot of times, mm -hmm. but only as victims. And even the perpetrators don't see themselves as perpetrators. Correct. Until you start thinking about it in terms of these mythologies that you lay out, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So can yeah. you leave? Yes, go ahead. Well, yeah, in some ways I feel like it's been a long time since I looked at the book. But <laughs> but yeah, um, the thing is, we each carry a myth about who Black women are and who Black men are. Mm -hmm. And when it one has to do with Black women are considered, you know, these invulnerable you know, physically even invulnerable um, beings who, who in some people's mind actually don't want relationships with men. We mm. want to control everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then you've got Black men operating out of a social myth that has essentially, from their point of view, and, you know, from the larger white point of view, demasculated them. They're mm -hmm. no longer even as strong as, as Black women in the mythology. 
Mm -hmm. And so they begin to define themselves as men in terms of the way the white patriarchy says, this is the way men are. Mm -hmm. So instead of creating a whole new myth about being a black man, (laughs) they instead adopt the myth of masculinity and power and all of that that goes with white men. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, black women, (laughs) on the one hand, just like any social myth, there's truth to it. And then there's false. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we, and our myth has usually become the strong black woman myth. Mm -hmm. So, right, right. You know, so then we just, you know, we're just going to endure. And therefore, in a sense, though, we have created, without even realizing it, another myth about being a woman. Mm. at least being a black woman. We mm-hmm, have a different mm-hmm, myth. Mm-hmm. It's not like we go and say, well, I want to be like the white women. At least that's not what we normally do. <laughs> so here we are uh, trying to define black womanhood that doesn't meet the criteria of white womanhood. Mm-hmm. But we've got black men seeking to define black malehood in terms of white manhood. <laughs> so here we are already in a clash. Yes, yeah. And the and the and the black man, uh men in general, uh using the construction of what white be, white folks say a man looks like and does and so forth, uh then expects the black woman, right, to support him in fulfilling that white male myth in his life. Yeah. And because we both live, though, in a context of white oppression, (laughs) we then begin to figure out ways to adapt Mm. so that we hope, (laughs) you know, that there can be relationships between Black men and Black women, but they're actually relationships that are built on adapting to the white oppression that we live in, mm-hmm. you know? So we end up acting out internalization <laughs> of white oppression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we dropped, when we left the chains, <laughs> when we dropped the chains, mm-hmm. we dropped the idea of slaves obey your masters, mm-hmm. but not the, the problematic male-female relationship an idea of this nuclear family. We took it with us and tried our best Mm -hmm. and womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. To live into it despite racism, sexism, and so forth. Right. And I think, you know, I think with regard to black women in particular, I think we probably did better um, in the early phases of, well, during slavery and then Mm -hmm. leaving slavery Mm-hmm. We had a clearer idea of what we had to fight against mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. order to be fully human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once we become emancipated, <laughs> it becomes more of a struggle <laughs> to maintain some of the lessons we'd learn about being fully human as women, mm-hmm. because now we're trying to be what would be respectable. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> respectability politics, right? right. To fit in, to fit right. in. Exactly. And, and perhaps stop the violence against us. Right. So here we are, <laughs> you know, um, with women becoming complicit in that respectability politics, that then means that we actually accept <laughs> the patriarchal oppression of Black men because we're saying this is the way the world, and we really mean the white world, mm -hmm. will see us as normal. Yes. <laughs> Accept us, treat us as equals. Right. Well, we see yeah. how well that's gone. Right, right, right. <laughs> we see how well that worked out. Yeah, we see how well it is working out, right? right. They want to take us back, take us back. So, you know, it, it, at the beginning of chapter two, so you quote from Donna Franklin, right? Yeah. And Donna Franklin quotes Paulo Freire. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, I want to uh, to 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 uh, read this for our uh, our readers. It's on page thirty one of your book. Sure. The true focus of revolutionary change is never merely the oppressive situations that we seek to escape, but that peace of the oppressor that is planted deep within each of us and that knows only the oppressor's tactics, the oppressor's relationships. And that's just what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and until we're ready to truly, you know, recognize how internalized our uh, oppression is and begin to say, it's going to be an effort every day to not be complicit with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yes. know, it's, it's not a one-time deal that somehow, you know, I, okay, I'm probably going to sound sacrilegious here, but I'm going to say it. it's not like you can simply get saved one time and this is going to be it. All right. Say that, say that for the people in the front row. Say that again for the people in the front row. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It's just not this one-time salvation from our oppression. It's it's daily work. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and it's not like we go down into this pool, either this baptismal pool, and come up uh, something different or someone different. Like we, like we were really down there in one of these, I guess, divine moments that right. really last a thousand years, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, while we were down there in that water, we had therapy. No, we did not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we wish that it happened. But yes, yes. The fact is we remain human beings, mm -hmm. you know, with all the flaws mm -hmm. and therefore um, redemption is a process that keeps going on. You know. Yes, yes, yes. Constantly throughout our life. And it has to be strategic. Like when we, you know, yeah, at some point we hope it's strategic, right? Yeah. And intentional. Yes. So, you know, this first, um, this first scenario just sounds like so many women. This sounds like so many women and so many women in the church, right? Right. I mean, in the average church, let's be honest. Okay. 
I'm going to be a little sacrilegious here too. Okay. But let's be honest. In the average church where the male, a man is the pastor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and his top-down authority, mm-hmm. he has more female helpers yes. than, as, my, as old folks used to say, he can shake a stick at. Right. So, <laughs> in this scenario, we have a, 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 a woman who is under this male pastor, and she has decided she is going to help him in any way she can. Mm-hmm. And she really is not um, thinking sexually, but one day he brings up the sexual, right? He right. says, uh, uh, the reverend said that we need to experience the gift of God the gift that God had given men and women through sexuality. Mm -hmm. And she says, I hadn't planned to go that far. In fact, I really didn't think that he would ask that of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And what were, anyway, but when he, when he did, I felt chosen of God. Mm -hmm. This and in the in the uh, in the margin I have O M G. This was my pastor, my shepherd, asking me to give something special to him, mm-hmm. something that would help him keep going and giving. O M G. I felt like Mary must have felt. No, no, no. When Gabriel gave her the news, no, 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 no. God has called me to do this. But just like anything God calls you to is never easy. And then, of course, later, uh, when she gets a a little jealous over another sister, Mm -hmm. uh, he, of course, gets angry with her. And uh, and severs the relationship, so to speak. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you offer a critique of both, how both, and that can be Radley, because mm-hmm. <laughs> because the thinking probably is, no, I did the right thing. I gave up all of myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> expecting yep. nothing in return. Mm-hmm. And so you give a critique through the 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 uh, myth, the so, the social social the social. Uh, tell me, you're, you're, when I'm stumbling over your phrase again. <laughs> the myth of sociology. Did I say that right? The social mythology. Yes, the social mythology. Yes, mm-hmm. for some reason I have a problem with that. The social mythology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how we have been socialized, right? To uh, to understand our relationships to each other right? mm-hmm. and, and to certain power, people in power. Uh, and so you offer a critique of both. And I think what can be rattling for women is, particularly when you start with the woman, right, mm-hmm. is, oh, no, she didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. see anything wrong with that behavior. Right. 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 Uh, I'm in therapy now. I'm seeing the way I have enabled people in my family, right? Sure, sure. But that's not the first thing we think of, exactly. how I have been complicit, right? Right. So, so, so say a little bit more uh, about that. You do talk about the 
the mythologies of the Jezebel, the Sapphire, the Nami, the Aunt Jemima, the Welfare Queen, the Sambo, the Bigger Thomas, the Jack Jackson, the Uncle Toms, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the Moynihan report and, and, and so forth. But yes, uh, uh, and thinking about manhood and womanhood, but you critique both. Can yep. you can can you say more about that? Sure. I mean, this is exactly why I I chose to do this um, as an ethicist mm-hmm. who could talk about the moral agency of each of us, mm-hmm. um, and to put us on this, like I say, uh, moral agency axis where complicity is where we begin, <laughs> and the quest is to get to accountability and finally to responsibility. Mm-hmm. But we don't like to examine our complicity <laughs> because, and I start with women because if we want to be free, then we've got to break that complicity. And that means examining all the ways in which we play into all of the social myths about black women. You know, even when even if you think you're not playing into them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've already learned them and they're part of your consciousness. Mm-hmm. So when this powerful black male preacher presents himself as God's representative, <laughs> um and you have a theological framework going that says well, if if God is speaking to him and he says this to me, then I should be listening, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we begin to reframe even what that listening to him is about. So, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, really? Mm-hmm. Were you actually similarly being positioned uh, to be called special by God? No, you got this man asking you to do something with him and your body that is, uh, you know, just clearly abusive. Really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's what it is, but you don't want to see that. So now you're going to give it theological meaning. <laughs> you're going to sanctify the activity mm-hmm. and he's going to continue to have exert his power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, to try and get women to, to see that when we support this abusive and oppressive behavior of men, you know, we then uh, help to provide a structure mm-hmm. in which this can continue mm-hmm. yes. on and on and on. So, yes. That's the hard part, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yet at the same time, I really was trying to get people to think about uh, the fact that we're in this together. <laughs> we're creating this sexual gender injustice in the church together. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's the piece that I was really trying to push people on, that... Um, we can't do this blaming and counter-blaming. That's not going to get us anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
uh, we just stay mired in the same mess that we've always been mired in. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I think I probably did have more people talk about the first case study than even some of the other case studies, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's because I think probably more women who, than would like to admit have actually participated in mm-hmm. that. Yes. Whether inside or outside the church. Right. Right. Yep. And that's what's hard. Yes. 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 So starting with women. Wow. Well, you know, that's uh, we don't we don't we don't think to start with it to empower women to see the dynamics, to see what's happening, to see the mythologies, because when these type of relationships come to the surface mm-hmm. or become news, mm-hmm. right? It is the woman who is blamed yeah. normally and demonized, called mm-hmm. all kinds of names. Mm-hmm. He's just a man. Right. He's just a man with power, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> he just does what men do. Mm-hmm. But she becomes the demon, right? Right. Well, you know, because, I mean, ultimately, in terms of religious terms, mm-hmm. we're still back at, that's Eve. And mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. Eve did mm-hmm. in the garden? Mm-hmm. 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 She led Adam astray. Mm-hmm. Not that Adam freely bit the apple himself, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. like she covertly fed it to him, you know, or anything yeah, sure. like that. Yeah. So, you know, so we're working with um, both social, sexual myths and theological framing of those social, sexual myths in ways that actually oppress us. Yes, yes. Because when you frame them theologically, mm-hmm. they become even harder to break. Because exactly. like this woman, she thinks she's doing the will of God. This guy is... Uh, uh, God's agent, right. messenger, uh, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's even harder to break that myth uh, even, because it's also one that's reinforced not only by male leadership, but by other women in the church and in our societies, right? Of course, of course. And that's why, like I said, I tried to also stay in my lane and do what it, this emphasis does in terms of the analysis so that hopefully women could have enough of an open consciousness to receive the kind of biblical interpretation you do. Because mm-hmm. that's the other piece of breaking, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the ways that we theologically um, sanctify all of this abuse and oppression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But until they can even see that they're captive to a myth by which they're reading the text, even, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it it's almost impossible to get them to hear the other interpretation that a womanist biblical scholar like yourself can offer them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love, so another reason why I love you say, start with the women, 
so we can free ourselves because because this the patriarchy is not gonna want us free. No. <laughs> right? free, free uh and, and people who benefit from the patriarchy, right? Right, right. Uh or, or who think they do, who think yeah. they do, right? Uh and so I'll start with the women. This is one reason why I remember years ago, this is before my pre-critical days. Okay. <laughs> in the church. And uh I remember, I don't remember the name of it, but the first book that uh, uh Bishop T D T D. Jakes came mm -hmm. out with. I remember okay. re reading his first book. I don't remember the title of it. And so I was like, oh, okay, good. But then when he came out with Woman Thou Art Loose, mm -hmm. that was a book I could not latch on to. And I think partially because of my history of being sexually violated, right? I could not latch okay. on to it. For some reason, I couldn't get through that book. Mm -hmm. It repelled me, right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps part of it was a man telling me that he mm -hmm. knows how to loose me mm -hmm. and that you can be loose by the word of just another man. Right. That man is Jesus. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and, and we have been taught that. Well, first of all, there's a problem with we can't see Jesus as fully human. Right. Uh, we are so we have we have deified church councils and their mm -hmm. decrees that Jesus must be seen as fully God and fully human. And so we can't break even Jesus. If we can't break Jesus away from his complicity in patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yet there are ways that in that incredible book called the Bible <laughs> in the New Testament, there are contradictory messages about who that Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And so that Jesus sometimes shows up in, you know, opposition to what would be considered um the traditional way to be in relationship with women. But we kind of slide over that. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, move on. And, and, and most of the stuff that we do in terms of talking about, and, you know, I may be wrong and you can correct me, Mitzi, but most of the stuff we do around um, this whole business of, of, when we start wanting to give biblical bases for uh, sexism and oppression, we aren't even talking about Jesus. We're over there with Paul, <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. And Paul, 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 Paul is a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he is still, well, maybe, well, I don't know how to put this. But anyway, yes, Paul or Saul, whatever you call him, right. he's a problem. <laughs> right. He, he, he is a problem. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I wanted to say what I wanted to say, but. <laughs> yes. We, we can probably read some of your writing and get what you want to say about Paul. <laughs> I'm not through with Paul yet. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yes. And, and we see. Um, 
We can't also wrap our minds around the fact that one, they're not telling their own stories. I'm not sure it would look totally different, mm. right, if they were. But uh, most of the time we accept, I think, that the, t- the Bible is very patriarchal, is written by primarily elite persons, right? Uh, but we don't think about how that impacts the content, the yeah. stories, right. what is said, whose stories get told and how they're told. So anytime we see Jesus or Paul, right, saying things about uh, that that should shake us up, <laughs> right, uh, we make excuses. Right. Exactly. The same thing, which is the same thing this woman did in this scenario. Exactly. Make excuses. Exactly. So <laughs> this whole business of, for me in the end is, you know, it's counter socialization and it's re-socialization. Both things have to happen. First, we got to get people out of the myths that they're embedded in. Let's mm-hmm. counter that. But then there has to be something to replace that, you know, and that's the thing that we, I hope as womanists, whatever discipline we we are in are seeking to do (laughs) is to provide that which re-socializes women around all of these matters. And that's why, you know, the last chapter uses A biblical story, but not the one that I think people thought would probably get used. Mm -hmm. I use Ananias and Sapphira because Mm -hmm. here again, we can go back to complicity. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And how it's translated, right? We're we're looking at in my ass class, right? And so one translator, I think the NRSV, uh, uh, says that that she was, oh, uh, that she... Uh, states it in such a way. I have that text here. Let me. Uh, uh, the Greek has the preposition soon, which means she was with him, present with him. Normally means present with him, right? Okay. Uh, but the language in the NRSV, and let me uh, go to this uh, real quickly. I didn't had had meant, but since you brought up Ananias and Sapphira, uh, <laughs> that 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 came to mind over mm-hmm. here in chapter. Um, Five of Acts, yes, yes, yes. And so this is what the uh, NRSV translator uh, says that, but a man named Ananias with the consent of his wife. But what we find is just a preposition that means with. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in translation, she becomes complicit. Uh, and, and so that guides how you read and justifies what the man or the man Peter, the one in power, does to her. Yeah, yeah. And but even okay, even if if I am corrected by the translation from the Greek, mm-hmm. it's still. <laughs> The woman and the man are equally complicit in behavior that is hypocritical to what this new community called church wants to be. You know, 
it's a denial of how we are going to hold and share all things in common for one thing. Yes, yes. So you have to come to that conclusion if you believe the text, right? Right. If you if you believe Peter, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. The great the great denier. The great <laughs> right? See, this is why I try to say like, some biblical scholars. I let them do their things by themselves. Right. So, yeah, so the great denier. And, you know, and we struggled with the idea that it was supposed to be voluntary. Yeah. And, and we have no idea about their situation, right? True. How much property they really had or whether they had, a, you know, a sick child. or We, we just don't know. But it I seems. Hear you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. This is why, though, rather than, and I say in the beginning, the introduction, that I'm not going to make biblically-based arguments for liberation. Yes, of, yes, yes. For our liberatory sexual gender ethics. Mm -hmm. But instead, I really am trying to meet people where they are. Yes, and where definitely. they are is they read that text. And you do. And you do. We shouldn't have got off in that. Anyway, no, no, so we <laughs> Because I want people to understand there is another way. Yes, to, yes, yes. To engage the text. Right, right, right. But that's what you do, though. That's what you do. You, you do what you set out to do. And I want to read this that you wrote in here. It says on page 43, starting 40, the African-American men either blame women for not being feminine enough and disrespectful of black men, or they blame themselves for failing to provide security financial or otherwise, for the women in their lives and become abusive to women and or homicidal in the Black community, thus denying the terror that white, racist, sexist capitalism imposes on the lives of all African-American women, men, and children. So this is your word, deny again. And you do. I can see why you would use Ananias and Sapphire because in the story, the way it's told, they deny the East denied, right? But what Peter is saying happened, right? Mm -hmm. And there's that denial that perhaps gets them in, in, from the story as we read it, right? Yeah. As we read it, as given to us, it is that denial that seems to get them in the trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what you are pointing out, right? Mm -hmm. The denial of, of the way the social mythologies impact us and how we live them out mm -hmm. and how they are very detrimental, even deadly, right? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So, you know, I really hoped when I wrote the book to open up a conversation that would have the kind of layering and complexity that you and I are having, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I just... I was so tired of folks just saying, uh, well, let's come up with a code of ethics and mm -hmm. that'll solve it. No, mm -hmm. it's not going to solve it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, there's something much deeper within our psyches that defines how we relate to each other mm -hmm. and then how we <laughs> interpret our relationships and the text that we say is so sacred to us. Yes. So, so yeah, so we need, 
what your book is doing. So we need, we we need, we need individual therapy, y'all. I know <laughs> a, a therapist that can help us are far and few between and expensive, but I think you, you are calling us to collective. Yeah. Construction of new ethics, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. And you, you quote uh, uh, Elizabeth, a girl, Elizabeth Wyatt here, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, in Stolen Women, Reclaiming Our Sexuality, Taking Back Our Lives. Mm -hmm. To the degree that we, African-American women, allow our sexual self-image to be defined by others, we will remain as our ancestors were. Woo, stolen women, captives, not of strangers, but of the past mm -hmm. and of our own unexamined experiences. And you are calling us to examine these yep. experiences. Yep. That's the hard part. Yes. <laughs> and you further, and this is your, these are your words on 45, which I also have wow. So <laughs> these are your words. Under the conditions of slavery, women survived assault upon their sexual selves through psychological adaptation. The first adaptive behavior was to learn to behave one way, even if you felt another. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me repeat that. <laughs> the first adaptive behavior, these are Dr. Marcia Riggs' words, was to learn to behave one way, even if you felt another. My God. The second was not to discuss the kind of abuse that you were experiencing. Right. And boy, do they get mad at us when we do now, when we mm -hmm. break silence. Silence right. and secrecy were necessary to survival. The last was that you had to live with a sense of dignity in spite of the abuse. Lord, have mercy. Yep. <laughs> now you see why it didn't become a popular book, okay? <laughs> it needs to be if we are to break loose. Yeah. And we need to take it seriously. And you do provide, and this book goes on, Lord, this chapter one is just stop you in your tracks. I mean, this is chapter two. Is this chapter two or three? stops you in your tracks and it should we need to be stopped in our tracks so we can change course right 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 and you provide uh group exercises for dialogue every church every black church needs to be using this book <laughs> as a bible study you know check those old traditional bible studies y'all where y'all using the same notes you get you written you wrote down 20 years ago. Yeah. Like I said, it was my hope that it could actually make its way into the churches. But, you know, folks like to hold on to their power. And patriarchal power reigns in the Black church. <laughs> it still does. So here's here's another word from Dr. Marcia wrote, uh, Riggs. Mm. 
African-American women and men tend to fulfill unspoken, coercive expectations in their sexual gender relations. Both women and men thus act daily in complicity with sexual gender oppression. And that's hard, right? But therapy is hard, right? <laughs> therapy is hard, but it's but it's freeing. Yeah, it exactly. is he- healing, right? right? It forces us to come to terms with truths, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, but we're afraid of those truths. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, uh, a couple other things okay. I want to I want to read, and then I want to give you final words, okay. and and I hope you'll come back, and perhaps we can have a group exercise in the podcast <laughs> we actually go through one of these chapters <laughs> okay <laughs> let's do it in some dr marcia riggs writes the sexual gender relations of african-american women and men are mostly reactive rather than creative responses to and you said this in the beginning of our conversation we are mostly reactive rather than creative responses to racist, sexist, capitalist oppression under which all of us labor. She says, I am suggesting that when African-American women and men live captive to white, racist, patriarchal, capitalist norms for manhood and womanhood, their sexual gender relations sustain white, racist, patriarchal, capitalist oppression, as well as perpetuate sexual gender oppression within the African-American community. And I got a big star up there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just really wish... um, we would actually begin to realize how much damage we're doing to ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and um, begin to be willing to honestly, (laughs) sometimes even step away from the Bible long Mm. enough. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) To have a conversation about what's actually happening between us. Um, So I, like I said, I still, I, well, I wrote an essay in the African-American theology, I can't, you know, whatever, handbook, Mm -hmm. where I say I'm revisiting Plenty Good Room. Mm -hmm. At the book, and um, I went back to look at that article, and, and I do revisit it, but I'm not changing really mm-hmm. <laughs> my emphasis. In there, I simply, I mean, because one of the things I say is, you want to talk about black churches are concerned with social justice and you know economic justice in the world, but if you're in in an air, if this is a place where women are being oppressed. Yes. And, you know, uh, really? You're going to be out there doing justice in the world? No, I'm sorry. Um, So in this revision or this revisiting of this, um, I really talk about, well, what does it mean 
to also frame this as the black church as a site of violence mm, and mm, mm. what that kind of violence looks like and violence in our language, violence in the way that we educate, you know, taking all the different pieces of the way we are church mm-hmm. and describing them as violence. Um, and then finally, you know, coming up with us a kind of ethical matrix where we shift from thinking about solely the black church's concern with black liberation. I'm not saying get rid of that, Mm -hmm. but the black church is first concerned with how we understand God's justice and its claim upon us to be (laughs) liberative of one another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we almost have to take the doctor's first line of the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Now I may get in trouble for this. <laughs> but when we think, you know, we use the exodus as mm-hmm. has become paradigmatic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that just by bringing those people out of Egypt, that's a whole nother problem right there. They were Egypt. <laughs> they were Egypt too. You don't right, say Egypt right, for right. you don't say Egypt four hundred years and not be Egypt too. Right. So bringing these people out of Egypt and Egypt was Israelites, right? They all just mixed together. So they, you know, I don't know how you separate the two right. so much, uh, uh, except for power, right? Uh, so you bring them out, you liberate them. Uh, so it doesn't mean that just because you have been liberated geographically, right, right. that you also, that you were somehow a perfect people in your enslavement. Right. That because you become out, all of a sudden you are a perfect people. And to compare yourself with your enslavers versus what ways am I like right. my enslavers, right? right? Because you took on a whole lot of stuff from those enslavers. And what ways, and, and my, I also like that which was not so good about my people before I was enslaved. Yep. Exactly. Right, right. right. And you know, people are all upset about the woman king, but this is talking about how uh, the the Dahomey and Af- some African tribes were complicit in enslavement. That is true. Yeah, that is true. And so, uh, and, and so, we, what we did was not the same as what the Europeans did. Right. But we weren't perfect. No people, no people can be perfect. No person can be perfect, right? But what right. is it? But it's not an excuse for our own injustice, right? Exactly. Not an excuse. And yes, I, I yes, I, I I totally agree with you, Doctor Marcy. I totally agree with you that we need to think about how we can be a just community, not only in terms of. Uh, in our struggle against racism, but how we are um, mired mm-hmm. in sexism mm-hmm. and queerphobia and homophobia and other oppressions mm-hmm. that perhaps render us or mitigate or diminish in some ways the way we uh, are 
the way we articulate our mission, the way we live out our mission, that that in a sense, in some ways, could render it or does render it hypocritical. Exactly. You got it. <laughs> That's what the book was all about. Pushing us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marcia Riggs. And we look for you to come back soon. We are pre-recording this. Okay. To come back soon to further discuss another chapter. Sure. In this book and perhaps with people who have read the book. (laughs) That would be good. Yeah. So if you are listening out there. I'm not going to gift you the book because I have gifted books in the past and people of my own and people just let them sit, didn't do the review. So I'm asking you to support a black woman. (laughs) Support Dr. Marcia Riggs' labor of love that she put in this book. Go buy the book on Amazon.com. Read it. Come back and say, I want to have a conversation with Dr. Marcia Riggs. Thank you so much, Dr. Riggs. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in the Beyond the Womanist Classroom broadcast podcast. This episode will drop in November. Watch for it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.